Well, we're in this uh, series together now of, uh, of thinking about God's holiness. I've entitled it Your Holiness, and I, I hope you truly will think about holiness in your own lives, what that, uh, what that looks like, what that means. I've told you before, I think, that uh, I've had a bit of an epiphany, and today you get to hear the epiphany. You know, the light turned on, and uh, something really struck me that I feel strongly about, and I, and I really sense God leading me to share this with you. So... I hope really today this is a blessing for you and that, uh, that uh, it does make a difference to you. Um, I'm going to uh, begin by sharing a story that I heard not that, well, it's quite a long time ago now, actually. It's the story of a mother and a daughter, both adults, and uh, both committed Christian people. The daughter went to a particular movie and really enjoyed it and came back and told her mom, you know, you've got to see this movie. It's a great movie. So the mom went with a Christian friend, a girlfriend, and uh, felt because of the content that the, of the movie at a particular point that they had to leave, which is what they did. Uh, when the mother and daughter got together to discuss this, uh, the daughter's response to the mom, who was gently challenging her, you know, why would you think a movie with that content uh, was such a great movie? The daughter's response was, was this, I'm, uh, I, I, I guess I might get to that point in my growth of faith, but I'm not the, at that point in my spiritual journey. That was her response. Um, someday she thought she might, uh, but she didn't think that watching some pretty explicit sexual content was wrong. So you've got the mom on the one hand who thought it was wrong, unholy, and the younger daughter in her 20s on, on the other hand who didn't think it was much of an issue at all. When I heard that story, I thought, you know, this really illustrates something significant, something that I've pondered in my mind since, uh, actually until my epiphany, that I'm going to share with you today. See, when I grew up, you know, bar back in the dark ages, um, it, 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 we all kind of agreed in terms of what was right and wrong. There wasn't much of a question to it. It didn't matter what age you were. Um, probably it was part of, you know, as we discussed la last week, uh, maybe an overly rule-oriented Christianity. Um, but it was clear and agreed upon what God thought and what was good. And it seems uh, that while we have left behind that legalism that we talked about last week, that understanding of Christianity that is really focused in rules and regulations and is guilt-inducing and produces judgment and condemnation toward other people at times, while we've left behind legalism, it seems that we might also have left behind an understanding of what it means to live a holy life, a righteous life, as the Bible describes it. Um, and maybe today, I'm suggesting, and of course I would always want you to apply this to your life in the way that suits you, how God speaks it into your life, but it seems that um, maybe we've lost a sense of the seriousness of sin, um, that maybe we deal with sin light, now in a way before, uh, in a way that is pretty different than it was before. And I'm going to share some observations that might attest to that reality. I do not want this to be considered judgmentalism or legalism or co condemnation. It's just, again, without all of that observation of what maybe I've experienced over the years. That sometimes, for example, there, there, there is um, a, a, a comfort with Christian people getting drunk. It's just, in some people's minds, not that big a deal, and but in spite of the Bible saying, do not get drunk on wine. It's clear. 
Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's the reality of the little white lie, or maybe not so white lie, when the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the truth. And we're called to turn away from falsehood in Ephesians 4, for example. You know, the idea of gossip, you know, talking behind someone's back rather than going to them directly if you feel you need to. And if you don't feel you need to, just saying nothing. It's just numerous times in the Bible, don't gossip, right? It happens. The idea of, of uh, I thought of this one, you know, the Sabbath observance. You know, keep the Sabbath day what? Holy. Holy. Set a day aside for God, recognize him, worship him, enjoy him. To turn away from work and, and be with people that you love and enjoy the day. The Sabbath was made for you, people. Uh, you know, the Sabbath was made for men and women. Not We're not made for the Sabbath. But we're told to do it. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, uh, language, profanity. And I'm going, hmm, the Bible's clear about that in numerous places. Don't go there, Christians. Don't go there. But again, it doesn't seem to carry a lot of weight in the minds of some. And I could go on. Um, uh, but I think you get the point. The Bible at times is clear. And it seems that we've entered into, in some instances, let's just put it that way, sin light. It doesn't seem to make that much difference. It's not that important to some people. Um, and of course, in terms of uh, what they think about right and wrong and the seriousness of it. Uh, and that probably describes, not the legalism that we talked about last week, and if you didn't hear that sermon. I really encourage you. It's foundational to this series. You can go and listen to it online. That's not legalism. This is the antinomianism, the, the, the people who don't really believe in or embrace the law. Uh, it's the permissive perspective toward Christianity. Isn't Christ died for our sins? It's not that big a deal. God can't care that much. That maybe produces that thinking. And here's, here's the point that I want you to grapple with today. And indeed, it is my epiphany. And that is that maybe this has taken place in the minds and in the lives of some people because they've lost the knowledge of the holiness of God. Might that be you? You know, there are people who are all about God's love. That's a big deal to them. They, 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 they primarily focus upon it and His grace, which of course are wonderful things. But maybe this knowledge of God's holiness has somehow disappeared. So today I want us to learn about God's holiness. I want us to be open to that reality. And the place for us to start really has to, rec uh, really has to be the recognition that holiness is at the core of the being of God. I want you to take hold of this. Holiness is at the core of the being of God, as love is, but also holiness is there. See, God is sinless. God is morally pure. God does not have the capacity to sin. Do you know that? You say, well, there are things God can't do. Yes, there are. Because of his holiness, he cannot sin. He doesn't have that capacity. And God is always quick, and he naturally does what is right and just in any circumstance. It's just his inclination. It's what he moves toward naturally. Because he is God. God never strays from his standard of holiness in his own life, in his own experience. And God is vehemently opposed to sin. Do you know that? Because of his character. 
because of who he is. Any expression of it is contrary not to his desire, but to his being. Understand that distinction. And I'm going to talk about two ways that the Bible says God responds to sin. Um, there are other ways, I'm sure, but I'm going to share two of them with you today that has real bearing on what I'm describing to you. My guess is and that with a lot of people here today, you'll be a little uncomfortable with both of these realities. And I want to suggest to you, and only you'll know your internal reaction to this, but the more you struggle with what I'm about to say, which is entirely biblical, believe me, the more you struggle with what I'm going to describe to you, the more likely it is that you've leaned the progressive, progressive, the permissive side of thinking about these things. Uh, and maybe that antinomian position where like God doesn't care about how I live. So watch that in yourself. The first, the first is this, that uh, the Bible says that God hates sin. Now, again, there'll be a lot of people who say, well, God doesn't hate anything, does he? Well, let me read to you a few texts from Scripture. The first is uh, Zechariah 8.17. And you're not going to be able to see it, but you're going to be able to uh, hear me read it. It says this, Do not plot evil against each other, and do not swear falsely. Don't lie. I hate all this, declares the Lord. That's strong. One more, Proverbs. Chapter uh, 8, verse 13, just by way of illustration. Um, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. He's inviting us to be like him. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Um, and then it says this, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Now, I could go on and on and on. If you have a good concordance or you go on online and get a concordance and look up hate, you'll see that it's attached to God's intention no, numerous times. Why is this? Because these things that God hates, they're antithetical to who he is. They just push him the wrong way. Now, I, when I've talked about these things to you previously, the reason I have said to you that God hates sin, for example, is that, you know, you know, he knows that sin hates us, and as a loving father, he doesn't want that for us, and he's so opposed to sin as a result. And that is true. But do you know the primary reason God hates sin? It is because he is holy. He is pure. It, at the core of his being is this antithesis to sin. <clears throat> second word I want to give to you. I don't know how you took that one. But the second response to God, within God, in his being, to sin, is wrath. Now, it's important to, to truly understand what, what wrath is, biblically. It's not what some people might think, this wild, radical, impulsive, destructive, dangerous anger that just flares. Listen to some of these definitions. Well, first of all, connotations of the word passion, properly settled anger. How about this one? A strong, relentless opposition and resistance to sin. You hear that? Strong, relentless opposition and resistance to sin. Here's the best definition that I, I found. To team. You get that idea. To swell. To swell up. 
Not a sudden outburst of anger, but rather a fixed, controlled, passionate feeling against sin, a settled indignation. Now, you read the life of Jesus, you're going to see this over and over again. How many times did Jesus become wrathful with Pharisees who were misleading people, who were taking people away from God, misrepresenting the heart of God, which was the God of a heart of love and of grace? And this indignation rose up in him against this because of it was wrong. So my friends, the reality is God can never dismiss sin because of who he is. You know, people say, listen to me, Niz, but God is a God of love. Can't he just let go of sin and forgive everybody? Can't he just let it, let it pass? Like that God of love, he'd never send anyone to hell or an eternity separated from himself because of his love. Well, I'm here to tell you today that uh, that's not what the Bible says. Not at all. You see, God doesn't have the capacity to accept anyone who is guilty of sin. It's just not possible. For, for, for God to be in that relationship and draw people toward him and to spend eternity with him who are guilty of their sin. You see, the reality is we are separated from that God. We are alienated from God by our sin. We're born into, if you would, judgment and condemnation. Now think about the veil in the temple of Jerusalem. You know, that, that, that veil that was at the front of the Holy of Holies, that place where the Spirit of God dwelt. And once a year, the high priest would go into that Holy of Holies to confess the sin, the sin of, of the sinful people of Israel. Once a year, no other person would enter in. And you know when he went in, they tied a rope to that man's ankle? Because they feared that as he went in representing sinful people, that God would strike him dead. And if that were to happen, they could then pull the body out with the rope. Like that's recognizing the seriousness of sin in the mind of God. And I want to tell you something, my friends. They weren't wrong. Let me read to you... Um, a beautiful verse that we all love. And then I want to read to you three verses which followed plus one another. One other. We love John 3.16, right? Who loves John 3.16? Yeah, the rest of you, what's the matter with you? Come on! It's an incredible verse. For God so loved the world, he loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, let me read 17 to 19 to you. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now let me j jump to the end of this dissertation, this discussion. Verse 36, end of the chapter. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I hope that's you. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Are you beginning to grasp the soberness of this reality, the significance of what Scripture speaks? So how, how does this all fit together? How does the, the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, all those incredible things, fit together with the wrath of God? the condemnation and the judgment which is to come. Well, I want to tell you this. It fits together perfectly. 
because God's wrath, God's condemnation of all those who are born into sin and all those who are alienated from God, because of that reality, out of love, Christ came to this world to die for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed from our sin, so that we could become righteous in the sight of God, so that we could become acceptable to God in relationship. Do you see it? Love. Deep, passionate, powerful love. Going to the extent of Christ coming, the Son of God coming, dying to make a way of escape, the Bible says. So that we could be saved from the wrath to come and the judgment, which will tragically fall on those who don't know Christ. Let me put it this way. And it's, it's, it's really important for you to hear because this again is, I think, contrary to what a lot of people have come to believe. The love of God was not sufficient for salvation. Do you believe with that? Believe that? The love of God wasn't on its own sufficient for salvation. It required the cross of Christ. And without that cross, without that sacrifice, without that means of escape being provided, there would be no salvation. And out of that reality, Jesus came and he laid down his life. He came among a sinful people. Can you imagine that? God among a sinful people? And then can you imagine Christ bearing in his body the sin of the world? The wrath of God, we sing was placed on Jesus. Let me read that to you. We're going to sing this in a minute. This, this incredible um, song, probably the, the, you know, one of the most profound and beautiful pieces of contemporary music that, that has been written. In Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness. If you received that gift of love and righteousness? Scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died... The wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. My friends, understand the extent that God in his love has gone for you, that you might be reconciled to him. And in time, that you might become holy as he is holy. See, this, I would suggest this is probably one of the reasons, I'm, I'm guessing it, that the idea of evangelism and, and a passion for it and a commitment to it and a sense of significant is, in the church in North America, it's not that big a deal anymore. Is it a big deal in your life that your friends and your relatives who don't know Jesus are still under the judgment, condemnation, and in time the wrath of God? You see, when we believe what the Bible says about these things, we develop this passion to, to tell people about Jesus and to lead them into a relationship with Jesus because they, they so desperately need to come to believe and find the salvation that God has provided for them. So what does this all mean for us, we who have come to Christ, we who have have come to know what it means to be in relationship with God, not by our own works, that's the legalism, but by the grace of God. Number one, let me say this. We need to take sin as seriously in our lives as God takes sin seriously. That's quite a statement, but that's what we're called to. 
We've got to look at this and give up sin light. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. You may think that way, but you need to understand God does not. This God of love and this God of grace, this God who has saved you, saved you, this God who will forgive you 77 times 7, he takes sin seriously because of who he is in his being. can't be otherwise. I want to tell you this. This taking sin seriously will not happen until we come to know and understand God's holiness. I'm going to read to you well-known passage again. This, this uh, time the prophet Isaiah was given this vision of God. He came to see the reality of who God was. Listen to it. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is the powerful, almighty God. He hasn't changed. Still powerful, majestic God. Above him were seraphim, angels, each with wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then this is what Isaiah said. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, he saw the holiness of God, and he recognized his own sinfulness, and the sinfulness of his people. Only then, says this following then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar with it he touched my mouth and said see this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for isn't that amazing did you hear how this man came to forgiveness he came to it first with a recognition of the holiness of god which led to confession of sin which led to his forgiveness my friends, that's what we're called into. Not to take sin lightly, not to dismiss it, not to think it's no big deal, but to view it as God views it, as we see who he truly is, and live in right relationship with him as a result. I'm not going to read the next verse, but you know what's really, really cool? As soon as this man had this profound encounter with a majestic and powerful and holy God, God says to him, who will go? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says like that, I will go send me. You know, I did a whole series on serving and our lives being a life of service at home and at work in our neighborhoods and our church. When this man saw God, he just naturally moved to the commitment to live his life for God. It's a powerful experience of the Lord for him. See, my friends, we need to take sin seriously. We don't move back to that legalism and the judgment of others, and the judgment of ourself, which we call guilt. Don't go there. Live in grace. Live, live in the knowledge of the mercy of God. Live in the knowledge of the love of God for you. But understand the holiness of God and the call of God in your life. I read it last week, First Peter, be holy as I am holy. It's there. It's powerful. It's prominent. And it's for us to take with, with great seriousness. You know, I, I want to wind down, and I want, I want to say to you, you know, we live in a very permissive society. Anybody 
We can't disagree with that. People do what they want. They're told, you define your own morality, do whatever you feel like doing. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. That's the standard. And as we talked about last week, as long as you consider it loving, you don't need the law of God. And we've challenged that idea as followers of Jesus. We do need the law of God to inform love, to tell us what's right and loving and good. But we live in a pretty uh, permissive society, and you know, my observation, and I'm not here to blame anybody or even our church, but I think in this world of ours in North America, we live in a permissive church. And we need to move beyond sin light without the legalism and prioritize holiness in our lives. Will you do that? Will you take the steps required to move away from sin? To confess it before God? Guess what I'm saying to you this morning, my friends, is God is both loving and holy. He's both loving and holy. As a matter of fact, the primary adjective describing God is not love in the Bible, it's holiness in terms of the numerical times they're used. And it is as we see God's holiness that we respond as in a way that draws us close to him through confession and, forgive and receiving forgiveness then allows us to experience his love and his grace. You know, I started this uh, talk today by describing the story of a mom and a daughter, uh, the daughter going to a movie that the mom didn't believe it was right and godly and holy for her to sit through. And you know, when I first heard the daughter's response, I'm just not at that point in my spiritual journey. Honestly, I was a little judgmental. It's easy to do. And I thought, that's a cop-out. Um, but you know what I think now? That was exactly the truth. That was absolutely the truth. Because that young woman had not grown into a knowledge of the holiness of God so, that, so much so that she could recognize what was unholy. I mean, the Bible says, don't even have a hint of sexual, sexual immorality among you. Never mind sitting and watching it displayed in living color. So what I want to call you to today, I hope speaking for the Lord in love and in grace, is the holiness that not only you as individual people, but we as the community of Jesus might be holy before God. Can I encourage you to begin regularly praying that God would reveal to you his holiness? I'm going to give you opportunity to do that in a minute, and then I'll pray for you that that will happen. But we need to see this, my friends. In this permissive culture, we need to see who God is. Because when we see who he is, and we will know what's right and wrong. And we'll know it because we've come to know scripture. That's another thing. Don't know scripture. You don't know what's holy. Dig into this book, as I've told you, 120, I don't know how many times. <laughs> Seek a knowledge of the holiness of God and what holy living is. And I want to tell you, if you ask God, if we ask God to reveal His holiness to us, guess what will happen? He'll show it to us. We will have that Isaiah experience. And our eyes will be opened and we too will cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we will recognize instantly how we need to be forgiven. He'll point it out by His Holy Spirit. And we will confess and we will be forgiven will be drawn into that fellowship with God, possibly like we've never known it before. 
See, we all need to move forward in our spiritual journey to come to this place. I challenge you to, for your sake, for God's sake, for the glory of God. Let's pray together. And I'm just going to give you a moment, if you wish, to invite God to reveal his holiness to you. Would you do that? Lord God, would you move by your Holy Spirit to reveal your holiness to us, just as you once did to Isaiah, just as you did to John in the Revelation. God, let us see you as you are, both incredibly loving and holy, so that, Lord, we might recognize sin in our own lives. We ask for that knowledge that we might repent of it, we might move in greater and greater measure toward holiness in our living. God, I pray for these people. I pray that you would, by your Spirit, teach them through Scripture, through reading this Bible every day, through, through prayer as they seek to know your holiness and ask for it. I pray that you will open their eyes to see who you really are at the core of your being. That you might be glorified Lord, that they, that we might be transformed into your image. That we might live holy lives. So, God, we pray in the holy name of Jesus.